Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are discussing The Return of the Living Dead from 1985. Directed by Dan O'Bannon, written by Rudy Ricci, John A. Russo, Russell Streiner, and Dan O'Bannon. Starring Clue Gallagher, James Caron, Don Calfa, Tom Matthews, Miguel Nunez, and Linnea Quigley. In this soft sequel to Night of the Living Dead, a group of teens find their punk rock loving brains to be targets for the newly emerged Living Dead. If you're new to the show, we're going to talk some background info on this movie for the first 15 or 20 minutes. We will keep that spoiler free. But then once we take our little fake break and play some transition music, that's when we're getting into spoiler territory. So if you haven't seen this movie, that would be the time to duck out of the show and go watch it. Ashwin, had you ever seen this before? I hadn't. Uh, first watch for me. I've never heard that term soft sequel. Is that uh, an industry term? I don't know if it's an industry term or just a Brian term. Okay, I like it. In, in uh, other films, you would call a hard sequel? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All just different degrees of flaccidity. Nice. I like that. <laughs> Same scale as the boners from Possessor. I know. I was thinking of some boners there. Uh, I get a soft sequel some nights. Uh, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's rare. Um, yeah, no, the first watch for me, how did you know about this film? Uh, well, I mean, it's a pretty big classic in the zombie genre. Okay. Uh, I watched it back when I was I was like 23 and was like I'm gonna get into horror movies and I, I did it for a while and then I, I dropped off and now here I am again but this was one on on the list of things I felt I had to watch and I watched it then and uh, spoiler alert I loved it then and sometimes my opinion changes so we'll see how that went but yeah cool. you had never heard of it um, you know, I, I feel like I probably heard about it, but I, I thought it was in the George Romero universe, and so I was, I was surprised to see, like, this is such a different film and not a part of that universe. So you, you have two different universes, uh, the Living Deads and then just Of the Dead? Yeah, yep. Johnny Russo co-wrote The Night of the Living Dead screenplay with George Romero, and then they got into a dispute about how to handle the sequels. I think John wanted to go a more comedic route with it, so they decided to split the franchise. Yeah, like you said, Romero's movies would have the dead title, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, etc., but Russo's would carry the living dead title. Got it. And so you think Russo was behind uh, the idea of this being more of a comedy? Because I saw that the director also had some major rewrites. Um, so do you, was that like the biggest difference then between Russo and um, Romero? I heard that that was the biggest difference between their two approaches to the sequels, but yeah, it's hard to know how much comedy there was in that first script because it does sound like it was changed at least a couple times before Dan O'Bannon was even brought on, but then he very much, he was brought in to clean up the script, script, and then he ended up being offered the directorship and he accepted it on the condition that he could largely rewrite the script. Yeah. And he did, from what I understand. Wow. Yeah. And um, this guy, Russo, uh, they, I, I know there are four sequels to this. Uh, is he there throughout, or does he drop off after this film? You know, that's a good question. I didn't look too much into it. I think he's just a producer on the other ones. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, the I, rest I, of the films are Return of the Living Dead Part 2 in 88, Return of the, Liv- of the Living Dead 3 in 93, Return of the Living Dead Necropolis in 2005, and then Return of the Living Dead Rave to the Grave also in 2005. Have you seen all of those? No, I haven't seen any of the sequels. 
Okay. I assume by the titles they probably are similar in like that horror comedy nature. I think so. I think yeah. so. I think some of them are kind of good, but I'm not sure what the word on the street is on those. Mm. Okay. But we'll have to get there. We'll have to watch some of those. Um, did you recognize Linnea Quigley, who is naked for most of this movie? <laughs> oh, man, she is naked for most of this movie. I couldn't believe there was just someone naked for, like, randomly naked for, like, most of this film, uh, <laughs> which is hilarious. But uh, I, I didn't recognize her, but then, yeah, when I looked up her credits, uh, we saw her in, in Demon Knight. Yeah, Night of the Demons. Oh, Night of the Demons, right, yeah. And then, uh, do, I mean, have you seen her other work, like... Uh, what Silent Night, Deadly Night, and uh, the I, Susan Part Four of Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, I still haven't seen Silent Night, Deadly Night, and in fact, I told some of the Discord folks that we would cover that this year in December. So, oh, okay, we're, we're soft committed to that. Cool, flaccidly committed. Um, yeah. yeah, I've also seen her in Sorority Babes in the Slime Bowlerama. She's in Nightmare on Elm Street Four, but she's like, just kind of almost. You can't even tell it's her. She's like emerging from something behind a wall and you just see her body really. Got it. So, but yeah, she's, she's been in countless B horror movies. So many more that I haven't seen. And she actually has a video that I meant to try to find on YouTube called Linnea Quigley's horror workout. Wow. Yeah. I know. I couldn't believe her filmography. So many like uh, B horror films on there. Uh, Yeah. It's pretty wild. Uh, I, I think that, would you say like this is her most famous role though? I think this is her most famous role. I think that's fair to say. And do you think it has a direct correlation with her being naked the entire time? I think that's also fair to say. (laughs) (laughs) That'll that'll do it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I haven't seen enough of her films to say that she has a reputation, but my impression is that if you wanted somebody to be naked in a horror movie, Linnea Quigley was her gal. Sure. Though... I read one of the other uh, cast members was like a real life uh, stripper apparently, but uh, they were they didn't want to like do be naked anymore like they they'd already like been naked too many times, and so I, I I almost thought like she wasn't like the obvious one to be naked in this film. Did, did you read anything about that? I did read. Well, I actually watched some of the documentary on this. I think it's called More Brains. Wow. Okay. And she did mention that she was a stripper, and I can't remember exactly what she said about being naked. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it sounds like there was someone else who might have been a more obvious choice, but yeah, really interesting that they, they went with uh, Quigley. They shared a strange anecdote. Sorry, everybody, we're going to talk about other stuff aside from Linnea Quigley being naked. <laughs> we'll get there. We are. <laughs> but they did share an anecdote in the um, documentary that the one of the producers... I think it was freaked out when he saw that Linnea was completely naked and they're like, we can't have pubic hair in a movie. Oh yeah. So then Linnea shaved and then they're like, no, we can't have exposed (laughs) genitalia in a movie. And then they made a mold to like cover that part of her body to make her essentially look like a Barbie from the waist down. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. (laughs) Yeah. It's odd. It, it looks odd. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of telling about like all these male producers and directors back then and like, what they thought like it should look like and, and trying to craft it in that vision. It's, it's kind of weird, right? Yeah. And, uh, Dan O'Bannon sounds like he was a bit of a creep. Oh yeah. I know. He was like recruiting people from strip clubs. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That's where he got one of these, the woman who played Casey. I'm sorry. I didn't write down her name. Oh yeah. Um, but he had the actress who played Beverly 
like come to her house his house to revert rehearse lines mm. and when she got there she said there was a gun on the table and something pornographic on the tv ah. so she just got out of there wow uh then he like made her fall in the mud a whole bunch of times when it was obvious that they had already gotten the scene mm-hmm. he the producer requested that his kids be in the movie so he had him like get there at 5 a.m and get really uncomfortable zombie makeup on he told the makeup artist to make it as uncomfortable as possible wow and then he made them sit there the whole day and at the end of the day said oh sorry there wasn't a chance to do it like just on purpose wow he sounds like a pretty big asshole yeah yeah he sounds terrible uh i I heard like uh one of the scenes there's a, a step that like gives away and like one of the actresses is running up on it and he didn't even tell the actress that like they had like replaced the step with like a faulty one so I think she ended up getting bruised. So yeah, that totally lines up with the, the stories you just mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, but um, he's written some great stuff. He <laughs> <laughs> is an asshole, but yeah. he co-wrote the screenplay for Alien. Mm-hmm. Um, no, he wrote that screenplay, I think, by himself. Right. He co-wrote Dark Star with John Carpenter, and he co-wrote the screenplay for Total Recall. Yeah, that's really cool. And he yeah. uh, did some other type of work on Star Wars too, right? Did he? I didn't see that, but that's, that might be true. I think so. I, I'm not sure if it was writing. It might have been more like the animation side or something, but he, he had his uh, hands on there, too. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, he only directed two feature films. His other was one called The Resurrected from 1991, mm-hmm. and that was based on an H.P. Lovecraft story. Oh, but, cool. Yeah. Yeah. More prolific as a writer. Did you see, like, originally they were trying to get Toby Hooper to direct this? Yeah, he was set to be a director at one point, and then I think he was just occupied for too long. They had to just start making the movie and get somebody else. Man, that, yeah, I feel like that would have been such a different film with him behind it. It does seem like it would have been a pretty different film. Mm-hmm. The budget for this was four million. Box office was fourteen point two million, so pretty good. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has ninety one percent critics and seventy nine percent users. That's that's crazy. I mean, that's pretty high. Did that surprise you? That really surprised me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I was reading up on on some reviews. I mean, the, people love this film. It's amazing. Yeah, it's a kind of a pretty schlocky '80s comedy. But Roger Ebert Ebert even gave it a three out of four. Yeah, yeah. I I was assuming like schlocky films would just get like the shittiest of ratings. So it's just really surprising to see like such universal acclaim. Yeah, this movie has some like quality to it that's for sure though and we'll talk about what is what aspects are higher quality and what are kind of more in the 80s camp category yeah but i mean dan o'bannon you know he's a good writer and he did a good job with that i'll I'll spoil my review for that i think the the screenplay is really good yeah yeah it it is like very like dialogue focused and uh, i think that makes a lot of sense that you had a writer coming uh and directing it because uh yeah the level of dialogue for a zombie film is pretty Uh, it sticks out yeah um this film introduced the concept of zombies eating brains and that's kind of been like the legacy taken into pop culture from it from it and uh you know you'll still see a joke of like a character in a show or a movie or cartoon like shambling and going brains which is (laughs) from this movie it's kind of wild yeah you know, I, I read that a lot, and I, obviously, like, The Simpsons and, like, South Park, I think, have, like, parodied uh, that a lot, um, but the idea of zombies eating brains, I, I don't feel like it was a, a concept I was, like, too savvy on. I, I don't know if I've just, like, been under a cardboard box when it comes to zombies, 
but uh like I mean, have you seen that mimicked in any other film um yeah like i've seen it in simpsons and and uh family guy and stuff oh yeah like when they're making fun of like this one but like have other movies like picked up on that idea like I, I think it's like zombies every time is always just about eating people. And this was the first time I saw in film like that. They were after brains. Right. I don't think it was super influential in film, but I think like pop culture knowledge of zombies, a lot of people are like, oh, they'll eat your brains. Mm. Okay. I think that's more of its legacy than like impacting other movies. Yeah. Got in it. terms of brains. Okay. Got it. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I, I, nobody I, becomes a zombie from a bite. You know, it becomes a zombie from a bite, and, and, like, you can't kill the zombies in this one with a blow to their right. head or whatever. And, they talk. Uh, they're they're yeah. probably... They, they're more intelligent than other zombies. Yeah. Yeah, they talk, right? Exactly. I, I thought the most, like, lasting impact that these guys had on uh, future zombie films was the, the fast zombie, because I, I think this was the first film where you had, like, zombies you could run, right? That is probably their most lasting impact. Yeah, good point. Yeah. The, the smart, the talking, and the brains. I mean, I, I, I think uh, those shows like make fun of it because of this film, but I just don't feel like that's a, been a, something that's been duplicated in a lot of films. Right. I agree. Okay. Um, yeah. Anything else on this movie? Oh, the cast, a lot of them were in other horror movies, too. Um, Clue Gallagher, who played Bert, he was the dad in Nightmare on Elm Street 2. James Karen, who played Frank, was the boss from Poltergeist. Tom Matthews, who played Freddy, is Tommy Jarvis in the next Friday the 13th movie that we've yet to watch, um, part six. And then Miguel Nunes, who played Spider, he was in Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, part five. Oh, cool. Yeah. Wow, a lot of overlap with like a lot of the 80s stuff. Yeah, did you recognize Michael Nunes? Uh, no, no, I didn't. Or Miguel, rather. Oh, yeah, yeah he's, Miguel. he's pretty good. He's a pretty good actor. Yeah. Uh, who who is he in this one? He played Spider. He's the black dude. Oh, okay, okay, Spider, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I like a I highlight liked of Friday the Thirteenth: A New Beginning for me. Oh, oh shit! Uh, he was like in the trailer, talking to his little brother. Mm-hmm. He was like in the trailer with oh. his girlfriend talking to his little brother. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's I he's not in a lot of scenes, right? Like this one's little brother just like go to find him and like. They're there for like, uh, I don't know, like 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, he's killed off pretty quick in that movie, unfortunately. Wow, okay. That's cool. That was him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anything else on this movie before we make our way into the Ohio connection? Um, one thing in general. So obviously this is like a, more of a horror comedy and it came out 80s. Uh, and the, the idea of like things holding up, you know, I, I know we just saw Predator and like, you know, so some of the aspects of that hold up. Uh, thinking of like genres, like, do you feel like comedy holds up uh, i i feel like when it when it comes to like genres that hold up over time comedy might be one of the toughest ones to uh like 10 years from now like what we're seeing today is funny is it's probably not going to be funny but do you, do you have that impression as well i agree i think comedies don't age well for yeah. the most part but are you do you think this one didn't age well is that what you're getting at I think I'm opening the door to, <laughs> to suggest that. But, but then, you know, I think in general, like a lot of 80s comedies, like I haven't gone back and seen like some of those classics. Um, but yeah, I, I wonder just in general if comedy is a really hard one to appreciate later on compared to things like horror and like action films, which you can kind of recognize and appreciate a little bit more. I think that's fair. And I think it depends on what kind of comedy, like a physical comedy may hold up better than kind of like a, nuanced dialogue heavy comedy that 
is really heavy on like the parlance of the times and the slang of the time and contemporary issues might not age well. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Yeah, slapstick is a classic. Yeah, yeah. I think this has a maybe a little bit more slapstick to it, so it All can right. age a bit better. Cool. All right. And some some downright clever lines, I think, too, in the cool. script. All right. Well, I hope in your plot review you hit them all for me because I feel like I missed a lot of it. <laughs> I've got a few written down. Maybe that you just don't think they're funny. <laughs> I think I just need to hear you say them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, as usual, our friend Alex connects every movie we watch to our home state of Ohio for us. Uh, Alex owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. So drop in, get some pierogi and a beer. They've got a great patio. They're also on Uber Eats, so check them out that way. Uh, and Alex says, The Return of the Living Dead is a 1985 American comedy horror film. It is known for introducing the popular concept of zombies eating brains as opposed to eating human flesh like previous zombie iterations. One such zombie, Tar Man, was portrayed by longtime actor and puppeteer Alan Troutman, best known for his work with the Jim Henson Company. Famously, the Jim Henson Company was founded by puppeteers Jim and Jane Henson and celebrated for its creation of the Muppets characters, which were popularized in 60s and 70s pop culture. Before Kermit and the gang were mainstream, Henson's puppets got acclaim as pitchmen for a variety of television advertisements. Among the most popular of Henson's commercials was a series for the local Wilkins Coffee Company in Washington, D.C., in which his Muppets were able to get away with a greater level of slapstick violence than might have been possible with human actors. The success of these ads led to similar TV spots with, among others, the Standard Oil Company, which was founded in 1870 by John D. Rockefeller in Cleveland, Ohio. (laughs) Wow. Oh my he god! You really had to dig for that one. Yeah. Do you feel like he finds like really easy ones and just like, oh, that's too easy. I, I need at least like four or five degree connections or something. I think occasionally he does that, but I think every once in a while you just hit a brick wall and you got to find a way. Yeah, yeah. Did you say, did he say the Standard Oil Company is it was founded in Ohio? Yeah. Yep. Wow, I didn't know that. That's cool. Uh, also, um, Muppets doing a being being violent on a coffee commercial. I kind of want to see that look it up i bet it's on youtube yeah hey the the muppets are that's uh some old comedy that age as well oh yeah that's true that's a really good example yeah that them like three stooges charlie chaplin yeah those hold up yeah i think it really depends on the type of comedy for sure yeah um okay man well we're gonna hit some spoilers folks but buddy do you mind if i call you back in a little while my wife and i are kind of having a late dinner tonight oh sure and actually, through some sort of shipping mix-up with the uh, U.S. Army, we actually received some MRE rations, so oh, we man. thought, what the heck, let's eat those for dinner tonight and see how they taste. Nice. All right, cool. Hope so, you enjoy it. Yeah, man. I'll, I'll call you back. I'll let you know how it went. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Talk to you soon. Yep. Hey man, I'm back. How's it going? Hey, good, good. How 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 was that food? You know, it tasted fine, but when we opened it, some sort of gas leaked out, and we were knocked unconscious for a while. Mm-hmm. Not feeling very well, but uh, we called the number on the side of the can, and the general that we spoke to was very nice and assured us that they'll be here soon to rectify the situation. Oh, that's awesome. You can always trust those numbers on the side. To do the right <laughs> thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> nothing bad can happen from there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. You know, it's funny because we get something on the screen as this movie starts that says everything that's hap- you see happening in this movie is true. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> that, w- that really surprises me. I, I don't think I've ever seen that in a zombie film. <laughs> yeah, that was odd. Yeah. <laughs> but fitting. <laughs> so was that, you think that was there to be funny or were they yes. actually, you think so? Yeah, I think, I think I'm starting to understand why you don't think this movie is funny because you don't understand humor. <laughs> oh yeah, shit. <laughs> I knew there was something else forgetting. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like it, it, today, if you see that, it, I feel like it's been done so many times like that, that script at the beginning of the film. But in the eighties, I, I don't know how many films were saying like, oh, all this stuff, uh, what you're about to see actually happened or is based on true events. So, uh, are you sure this was part of the, the funny, or the gag? Um, yeah, maybe it was a jab at Toby Hooper, who was supposed to direct Once Upon a Time. Oh, okay. Why, did Toby, did Toby Hooper? Oh, I guess he used that in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? Yeah, that's I not, see. I have no idea if that's true, but... Okay, all right. When, I'll, I'll give you that, that gag. All right, all right. One, one joke for Brian. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, it the beginning of this movie we meet frank the foreman at a medical supply warehouse who's showing new employee freddie the ropes and trying to impress him with some of the grisly stuff they have at the warehouse like human cadavers and dog cadavers that have been split in half he tells freddie a story that the night of the living dead was actually based on a true story and what really happened was there was a chemical spill that leaked at a va hospital and like leaked down into the morgue. It was this chemical called 245-trioxin, and it was meant to spray on marijuana. They were developing it for the army, and they told the guy that made the movie they'd sue him if he told the true story, which is why Night of the Living Dead is slightly different. Uh, so the army shut everything down, and they shipped all the contaminated dirt and dead bodies out, and they accidentally shipped them here to this medical supply warehouse by mistake instead of the chemical company where they were supposed to be sent. Frank takes Freddy to the basement to show him these barrels that contain the dirt and the bodies, and Freddy asks him if there's any risk of the drums leaking. And Frank says, Leaked? Hell no! These were made by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers! And he slaps the side of the barrel, and of course all this noxious gas sprays out of it, leaving Freddy and Frank coughing, and they soon fall unconscious do you notice all the digs at the u.s army uh no i don't think i picked up on those but uh yeah i I guess they're they're kind of subtle right yeah i mean he says that it was developed or this it leaked at a va hospital um i guess that's not directly implicating the army but the u.s government um the army then had to screw up with shipping and then the army didn't build the barrels well enough to contain the leak. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I liked that. Like they, they were kind of making fun of like the bureaucracy of like some of these government agencies where it's like a mishap and they, they can't like mail stuff to the right location. I, yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. And at one point there's like a dissolve cut from a corpse coming back to life to an image of the American flag oh. in the next shot. So I liked, I liked that shot a lot. You're talking about like the corpse with like the blood spilling over it. And getting yeah. reanimated. Yep. That was, I, I thought that was like a really cool shot. Yeah. Nice. Um, so when Freddy and Frank regain consciousness, they soon find out that some of the cadavers in the warehouse are coming back to life. The split dogs are wiggling and panting. The butterflies pinned under glass are now flapping their wings. 
and an entire cadaver seems that it's even come back to life. They call in the manager, Bert, and the three of them are attacked by this cadaver, which is for some reason completely yellow. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering why, why that was the case. You don't have an explanation for that? I don't have an explanation for the yellowness, but there was an initial version of this cadaver that they showed a picture of in the documentary, and it was awful. The guy who did it ultimately was fired later on in the movie. Oh. <laughs> um, it was just like, it looked like something I could have come up with. I, wow. So this was I, like maybe it's second online. Tra- this was their second draft then? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Someone, you could maybe try Googling like yellow cadaver first draft or yellow cadaver first try from Return of the Living Dead and see if the image is out there. It's bad. Oh, okay. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. The, it was interesting on the documentary. They just cut to everybody being like, I couldn't believe it was possible that this guy thought this was passable for a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that reminds me of something that the director had said later about like how many disappointments he had during the whole film that he had just had to like ignore some of them. Oh, gotcha. But gotcha. I, I wonder if this was one of them. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Um, so they end up cutting this cadaver's head off, just like they saw in Night of the Living Dead, but they soon find out that the body parts keep going even after the head is removed or destroyed it's all still alive and they decide the only way to destroy these things is by burning them and i thought there was a pretty comical scenario where they're they pin this corpse down it's kind of slapsticky and they've nominated frank to like saw the head off with a handsaw and bert's like be a man frank be a man (laughs) (laughs) and it was just kind of comical yeah, yeah, that, that that scene is really funny. I mean, the, the, this whole like struggle with like the three of them, and then like even to like let the zombie out or, or the yeah, I guess the zombie out, like telling him like the lock combination and stuff. Uh, it, was, it was just like really silly. Yeah, it was silly, and it was kind of exacerbated by the fact that Frank and Freddie were feeling not very well from the gas that they inhaled, so they were just extra frantic and freaking out. Oh yeah, yep. So they lug the body parts of this cadaver and the split dogs over to the local funeral home called Resurrection Funeral Home, where they meet Ernie, who I guess is a mortician there. And I didn't realize until taking notes for this that their names are now Bert and Ernie, these buddies. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? Yeah, so and, you think that's funny, huh? I, I thought that's funny, but I heard that was like completely unintentional. All right, two jokes. <laughs> yeah. We're almost at a comedy. <laughs> Uh, so Ernie agrees to help Bert because they're old friends and he says I'll do this but Bert you owe me a favor a big favor and uh, boy I thought when we first came onto this scene Ernie the mortician was really not doing a good job acting did, oh. did that stand out to you no actually I, I liked his uh, acting I, I thought he was just like this uh, guy who's like totally like, you know, just there doing his job and like couldn't like give a shit about this stuff. And I thought that was just kind of like his personality to kind of be standoffish a bit. Um, but y- you saw it as bad acting? I did, but maybe there's just something wrong with me because in the documentary, everyone was talking about how great he was. Yeah, I, he was one of the standout characters for me. Like, I, I really liked him. And he, he is kind of odd and like not acting like as panicked as everyone else and just like way more calm. But I thought that's just like part of his personality and like this character that they've made. Okay. All right. Well, you don't understand comedy and I don't understand acting. 
yeah together we make a great pair <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah this is all going down freddie and frank meanwhile are just getting worse and worse they're really not feeling well um but ernie agrees to burn the bodies and they do so and after that happens we get an ominous shot of the smoke billowing out of the incinerator's chimney going up into the sky and while this whole story has been taking place we've been cutting back and forth between these characters and freddie's friends who are all waiting him for him to get off work so that they can hang out freddie's girlfriend and a bunch of his friends and they're all a bunch of punks and leather and chains and mohawks um, yeah his girl- girlfriend friend mentions freddie's got a new job over at the medical supply warehouse and they're gonna meet up with him later but they decide to kill some time at a local cemetery while they wait yeah oh man these these friends though i don't feel like enough could be said to describe them like they're just so over the top and random and like uh like when their names like suicide and trash and uh what would you say the other ones were named uh (laughs) tina is his girlfriend tina is like straight as an arrow oh yeah which is so weird right yeah yeah (laughs) it's it's a little odd freddie and tina but then there's like spider trash trash, suicide uh what's the other one it's like scuzz yeah yeah what, what was what, what i'm like wasn't this just kind of like a crazy group of kids yeah i mean they were punk rock i guess that's how that goes <laughs> we're were not the appropriate people to uh describe the punk rock aesthetic or understand it <laughs> were, were, were they punk rock or was like uh the director or writer here thinking that uh what's like really punk rock and like let's like make the most like extreme punk rock like and, and, and like fit all the stereotypes and just have like this oddball crew of people together like that didn't throw you for a loop or do you think that was part of the comedy as well that they were so exaggerated i think it might have been a little bit of a comedy and perhaps a little bit of a dig at that culture oh okay because one time suicide comments to trash who's talking about like his outfit or something he goes you think this is a costume this is a way of life <laughs> yeah so i think that was like deliberately over the top okay so it's like them kind of poking fun at like the the younger generation of punks that's my impression okay yeah if, if, if that was it i mean I, I feel like they did a really good job there that that's funny yeah um so let's see where are we so yeah they burn the body we've got these punks over at the cemetery uh one line that i really enjoyed was this one dude who keeps hitting on casey he says i like death with sex how about you casey you like sex with death and she says yeah so fuck off and die <laughs> I thought that was a pretty sick burn. Yeah. Clever line. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's still, like, I I saw that quoted a few times. I still don't understand uh, what that's saying. Like, uh, she'll sleep with him if he's dead? Is that what she's implying? (laughs) I think, like, yeah, I would like you to go fuck yourself and die. That's when I would like sex and death. Oh, okay. I can't believe I have to explain (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not funny now for anyone who's ever seen the movie we've ruined it <laughs> okay I think, I think i got it now <laughs> we fucked it and killed it yeah yeah okay so fuck off and die oh so oh yeah okay great great oh so the fuck off part she's talking about sex then in that case yeah got it all right thanks man <laughs> that's helpful <laughs> okay uh let's see so they're partying at the cemetery starting to get dark trash played by linnea quigley asks one of the dudes if he ever fantasizes about dying and it's clear that her death fantasy is turning her on 
And she takes off all her clothes, stands on a tombstone, and starts dancing. And I can't remember who it is. Maybe it's Spider. He's like, let's get some light over here. Trash is taking off her clothes again. <laughs> again, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this is a thing she does, apparently. But there's a pretty long sequence here with her just dancing naked on this tombstone and everyone kind of cheering her on while they play a boombox. Um, yeah. Tina, so was this was this supposed to be funny? Or, I, mean, I mean, to me, it just seemed like a really random, like, forced in way to get someone uh, naked on screen. But what, what did you think? I think that's exactly what it was, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, Tina, meanwhile, goes over to the warehouse to meet Freddy. And she finds it deserted, and she wanders into the basement looking for him, and instead she encounters the reanimated corpse that was in the U.S. Army barrel. And this is the iconic zombie known as the Tar Man, and he says, brains, as soon as he sees her. And even though the guy who created that yellow corpse that looked horrible, I'm pretty sure he also made Tar Man. And I thought Tar Man looked really good. Yeah, Tar Man looked really cool. I'm surprised it would have been the same guy. I'm pretty sure it was, and again, I don't have his name. I wish I did. Yeah, yeah, no, this this was like actually a really cool looking zombie. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Oh, also, you know, I was just talking to Coop in our Discord server about uh, a dolly zoom, and I am not very knowledgeable when it comes to cinematography, and I didn't know what it was. But when Tina sees the Tar Man, there's a dolly zoom shot on her, and it's when like. The character, it can be other things too, kind of, but the character in the frame stays the same size and it stays still and then the background like looks like it's getting farther away. Oh, they did one of these shots there? Yeah, yep. Okay, that's cool. Kind of like meant to really emphasize the shock or awe of a character and a lot of, that's not exclusively how it's used, but it's used famously in Jaws to do that. Sure, yeah, that's a cool effect. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, this is like, uh, this would be the time to have that one. Cause yeah, this is like your first kind of scary zombie. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a pretty cool looking zombie. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, when they came down in the basement earlier, when Frank was showing Freddie these barrels, he mentioned to Freddie that he should have watched his step on the, the third step down. So he did. Yeah. I think that was some foreshadowing that the woman who played Tina didn't catch in the script. Yeah, yeah, or she maybe she didn't read that part or something. Her fault. <laughs> it's on her. <laughs> no, that's purely a joke. Dan O'Bannon really does sound like a dick. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, at the graveyard, it has started to rain, so the rest of the gang heads to the warehouse to meet up with Tina and Freddy. It's kind of killing their vibe. And Trash, who's been completely naked for a good chunk of the movie at this point, is complaining that her skin is burning from the rain. Uh, they get to the warehouse, they find Tina in this struggle with the tar man, and they manage to save her, but in the struggle, suicide gets his brains eaten. Um, and then one of the characters thinks she may have seen Freddy earlier, heading to the funeral home, so they get away from the warehouse, they cut back through the graveyard to find him, but unfortunately this acid rain has caused the zombie or the corpses in the cemetery to come back to life. Uh, and they get trash, and ironically, she... Even though she was fantasizing about dying, she's terrified when the time comes. There's no eroticism to her death. No. But yeah, I mean, you could tell that, that she really foreshadowed that, right? By like saying that's what she fantasized about. Yeah, I think maybe so. And I think that could be like another dig at like the punk rock fascination oh. with death culture. Yeah, like all talk, but when it actually happens, you're not into it. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I mean, it, it would be ridiculous to expect somebody to be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This yeah, is I guess, I guess that's an unfair expectation. <laughs> but I do think maybe that was a little bit deliberate. I'm not sure. Yeah. If Dan O'Bannon's the kind of dude who leaves a gun laying on his coffee table when the lady comes over, if something tells me he doesn't <laughs> like youth. Yeah, I know. <laughs> He's got some strong opinions. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, and then later she come. We see her come back to life as a zombie. Uh, still, still naked. Still naked. Yeah, she emerges to the song that she was stripping to. Nice. A more like dramatic version of it. Yep. Um, the crew, Spider, Tina, and Scuzz. Uh, they meet back up with Freddy at the funeral home. Chuck and Casey, in the confusion in the graveyard, ended up running back to the warehouse. So they're over there. Spider, Tina, and Scuzz meet up with Freddy and Frank at the funeral home and Bert. And some paramedics arrive to check out Freddy and Frank, and they determine that they're technically dead. And they're freaking out. And there's a lot of shots of just Freddy and Frank, like almost like holding each other and just looking at each other terrified. Yeah. It was almost kind of endearing and sweet. Yeah, this old guy and like this young high school jock. Yeah, like they're just bump. like really struggling together and they've kind of they're kind yeah. of all they have in this yeah. strange predicament they're in. Yeah. Um so this group's kind of pinned in here for a while. More cops and paramedics arrive periodically only to be consumed by zombies. Uh you get a zombie get on the like walkie-talkie radio in the ambulance and say send more cops <laughs> and then send more paramedics yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah the, the whole uh seeing them talk like from tarman to like these zombies that's kind of thrown me for a loop I was, I was like oh my god is this real like uh they're actually making these zombies talk but yeah ho- holy shit they they went there yeah it's a pretty big change of pace for what you would expect from a zombie movie Right. And there's a zombie who pretends to be a cop guiding the other cops like where to park with a flashlight <laughs> yeah oh yeah that was hilarious yeah yeah okay what is this this is like three or four times you've laughed out loud just in talking about the story (laughs) you know i i gotta be honest when i started watching this i didn't realize it was a comedy uh but now in retrospect us talking about it 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 does sound pretty funny actually sometimes man you need to watch a movie again because you go into it expecting something and you don't get what you expect and it really throws you for a loop yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like if I watched it again with that reference of like, oh, this is supposed to be funny, it'd probably be a little more. I'd appreciate the ridiculousness of it a bit more. Yeah. There's also a scene here where a paramedic, so like, they're like kind of planning these traps and then the paramedics come and they just get swarmed by the zombies. There's a scene where a paramedic gets tackled so hard by a zombie that I bet everyone on the set had to stop and be like, dude, are you okay? Oh, really? Like some zombie actor really committed. <laughs> Uh, that's funny yeah it was fun to watch uh um, spe- speaking of the the zombies though uh i felt like the the design or, or the, the effects on them was like kind of lazy it just looked like a bunch of people who'd like been in mud for a while yeah i think when you have so many zombies in a movie and it's not a huge budget you have to just cut corners i don't know like i'm thinking about dawn of the dead and how most of them were just kind of painted blue mm. yeah right yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I thought a few core zombies looked really good. Like, there's a scene in here where they have a scene where they almost lose one of their barricades. I think Scuzz dies in that scene. And they end up having to, like, pull the torso of a zombie off the legs and, like, 
end up pulling it into their into the funeral home and then they like spear it and pin it down um and it's just this like it's basically a skeleton with some like extraneous flesh and bits on it right yeah i thought that yeah. one looked really good didn't you I did too. Yeah, that one was really cool. And you're right. Yeah, the, the standout zombies, like the ones that play like more of a major role. Uh, I think like like Tarman and stuff. Those were done really well. But then the uh, the majority of people who are zombies uh, to me just look like normal people who'd like been hanging out in the mud or something. There, there. I can't say I paid a whole lot of attention to the appearance of the extras, but I can believe that. Yeah, um, yeah, but I, I, I think you're right. Like, yeah, mo- movies like uh, Dawn of the Dead and stuff, where you have a bunch of zombies, you, you do cut some corners. But I don't think I've ever seen this lazy of uh, uh, makeup and visual effects on zombies before. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's this movie called Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things. I think that's the title of it. It, I think it wins the award for lazy zombie. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, From what wait. I remember, I'll have to watch that one again. Okay. All right. Um, what did you think of this scene where they're basically talking to this torso zombie and she says, I don't want to eat people. I want to eat brains because it, <laughs> it helps the pain of being dead. Uh, I mean, I, I thought it was a really cool dialogue piece. Like I, I never thought about like, oh, why, why do zombies eat people? And that was kind of like a, a, a cool quote that uh, zombies are eating brains because uh, like being dead is so painful. So uh, I think it puts like a cool notion in your head and it felt like pretty original. But uh, outside of that, like the words obviously didn't match up with like what she was saying, and uh, yeah, it didn't like feel like it was supposed to be funny or anything, was it? I don't think that part was supposed to be funny. I actually thought it was kind of interesting too. Like if you were in extreme pain and couldn't kill yourself because these zombies can't really die, like what would you be willing to do to make yourself feel better? Yeah, right. And and that explains like that like animalistic desperation that so many zombies have. That that's, yeah. I'd eat your brain if I was in that situation. Yeah, exactly. Who wouldn't, right? You'd see me like gnawing on it thoughtfully and I'd be like, hmm, I can taste that this guy couldn't understand humor. <laughs> He's missing his humor thing. <laughs> <laughs> Something's odd about the taste of this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. No, it's, I like that concept a lot. It's a really good way to explain like why these zombies have been talking and why they keep saying brains. I, I like that they kind of wrapped uh, a bow around that. I do too. Um, well, things are getting more dire with Freddie and Frank, and they are about to turn, and the gang decides to lock them in the chapel of the funeral home. Tina is committed to Freddie, and she won't leave his side, but after they lock them in there, they hear Tina scream, and they end up having to break back in there to save her. Frank escapes from the chapel and runs off, and uh, he, he we get a scene where he goes to the incinerator, puts his wedding ring on the little hook, and steps in and burns himself. <laughs> it's what, like what kind of emotional that? with him putting his wedding ring on yeah taking his wedding ring off to do it yeah that, that was a serious scene right it was yeah yeah it's an interesting and they talked about this in the documentary about how like production companies and the people who read the script like didn't really understand the tone it was supposed to be taking but like if you got it you got it and it is a weird mix of like serious and over the top and silly and campy it really is yeah <laughs> i thought like freddie and frank were sincere characters that i like felt for yeah yeah i i didn't think they were like supposed to be comical or anything i, th- I thought they looked like you're supposed to be taking them pretty seriously and and yeah I, f- I feel really bad for like the demise of uh frank yeah poor frank poor frank's he's, wife 
Yeah. He's like this middle-aged dude who's just like trying to show off to like the young kid coming on board and he kind of like sets this whole uh, disaster in place and has to pay for it. Yep. Um, and then Tina and Ernie end up trapped in an attic because Freddie is really trying to eat Tina. Um, he's trying to break through the door. And uh, one creepy thing that Freddie says as he's like trying to get in there is he says, you made me break my hand off completely this time, darling. <laughs> is that just like striking to you? It just really creeped me out for some reason. Yeah, the way he was like taunting her from like uh, un- under them and like calling to her, I, that that was pretty scary. And y- yeah, n- nothing you ever associate with zombies. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Spider and Bert, they try to make it back to the warehouse, and they do, and they incapacitate Tarman. And Bert finally decides he's been putting it off the whole movie to call the number that is shown on the side of the barrel, like call this number in case of an emergency. Uh and he does so and on the other end he talks to a general who we've seen in a cutaway scene earlier in the movie the general receives the call calmly takes all the information that Bert is giving and then he arranges for a nuclear weapon to be fired on the town uh and that happens that's how the movie ends it kind of freeze frames with Freddy bursting through that hatch into the attic and saying Tina and it also freeze frames on the zombies, including Linnea Quigley zombie, looking up at the sky as we hear this nuclear bomb approaching. Uh, and then we see the explosion. And in the aftermath of the explosion, we hear audio of the general explaining to his superior, yes, everything went well. Don't worry about the fires. The rain's taking care of that. We've got some minor complaints about burning skin. But other than that, all is good. And then the ending it was this was odd to me they ended with some repeat shots that they had already shown in the movie (laughs) (laughs) like a first person view of something lurking in the cemetery like monster vision which was a horrible shot the worst shot in the whole movie Mm -hmm. and then the same shot of a skeleton emerging out of the ground um which didn't look horrible but didn't look that great and again we had already seen it in the movie that like really irked me that the movie had really been trucking along at this pace and then everyone just dies and they stoop as low as to just repeat shots that we've already seen. Did that strike you as well or am I, Oh man, is that an unnecessary gripe of mine? You know, so like watching this movie, I slowly started to understand that it was a comedy. (laughs) And so this, uh, when they do this replay at the end of like, I think they actually just replay the jokes and so for me, it was like kind of helpful. Like, oh, okay, that was supposed to be funny. That was supposed to be funny. <laughs> so it was like they hit, it, it was a, a really funny move. Like, I, I don't know why a director would ever do this, but uh, for me, it like kind of, uh, you know, like brought back the scenes that maybe I like didn't appreciate when I saw them the first time, but like here it was like condensed in like this like uh, one minute reel of like, oh, here are like the highlights of the movie or something. But yeah, so, so weird for them to do that though, right? Yeah, I mean, they're doing that while the credits are rolling, which I guess maybe I've seen in other movies, like other comedies. But before the credits even roll, they repeat. And before you know, they're going to like start repeating some scenes from the movie. They show these other two as if they're part of the movie. Like, yeah, it's that's... before it's obvious that they're repeating. So right. I don't know. It just struck me as odd. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it is really odd. Uh, it's almost like uh, like cliffhangers, like a movie or something. Like they, they summarize the whole thing in like the last minute or something for some reason. Yeah, but, uh, well, and they meant to show you here that like okay, now more zombies are coming back to life because of this rain, but they do that yeah. showing by showing you footage that you've already seen. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I, I completely unnecessary, and I, I think just leaving it on that dialogue piece that that people are feeling burned by the rain, I, I thought left that open enough where like you get the sense that zombies are coming back. Yeah. Did you like the ending other than that, like how it ended with the nuclear bomb? Uh, it, it was kind of a downer because like, I, I feel like in most of these, uh, zombie films, um, they, there is like hope and stuff. Uh, but in this one, like they could never like kill a zombie and, and this basically showed like even a nuclear attack, like, uh, wasn't killing anyone. So, uh, it was, it was kind of disappointing, but also kind of cool that like, they're just like, yeah, the, the, the whole world is kind of fucked at this point now. So, uh, yeah, I, from, from a storyline perspective, I, I, I appreciated it. What, what did you think? I have a certain appreciation for the nihilism of it, but I also thought, like, the pace of the movie was just, like, really escalating and trucking along, and then this bomb just kind of pulled the rug out from under all of it. Like, mm-hmm. none of the storylines really got resolved or wrapped up. Like, no characters yeah. had, like, a real moment right before it happened or anything like that. Like, right. I would have wanted a bit more of a glorious ending for the characters. Yeah, there was no, like, personal victory, and, and I, I felt like that, too. Like, what was the point of, like, all this, like, the small group of people trying to survive, getting overwhelmed, and then suddenly just, like, everyone's dead, and, and then more zombies are about to come, basically. So, like, there was no, like, victory along the way or anything. Yeah, yeah, I would have liked it if there had been some other arc, maybe even just, like, internal, emotional, or relationship arcs that kind of got wrapped up right before this happened. Yeah, but wasn't this a movie, like, devoid of any type of character or emotions or any type of like arc in terms of like a, a, on a, on a like a character perspective yes and no like we get a kind of relationship between frank and freddie and we get kind of a touching moment where freddie or frank kills himself um <laughs> mm-hmm. and yeah, like true. we get tina's devotion to freddie that she's not willing to leave his side but yeah at the same time there aren't a whole lot there's not a whole lot going on in the way of character arcs that's true can't argue yeah i mean it's, it's a pretty big group of like random characters um and, and so I, I feel like that none of them like really had the space to kind of uh, do a lot except you know I, I would actually say ernie might be the one that had the most just because like he was like so dialogue heavy and like uh, i i don't know, like who would you say was like the hero or the protagonist of this movie that's a good question i don't really know like because bert is feels like kind of the leader and the one calling the shots, but he's also mm-hmm. the one who's been kind of hiding information from people and refusing to call the number on the side of the barrel. Right. Which is, that's an interesting aspect of the plot too, because part of you is like, dude, just call the number. But yeah, the sooner he would have called it, the sooner things would have gone wrong. True. Yeah. 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 He was, he was, he was dead uh, a long time before. And then, and then like, yeah, the whole time he's just worried about protecting his business, right? Like as a small business owner. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, precisely. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I don't know. I, I think that it was hard to find like a protagonist here. For some reason, I, I gravitated more towards uh, Ernie because I thought, uh, as the viewer, you're kind of like in his position where he's like, "Well, what's going on here?" and having to step in and trying to like problem solve with with these guys and takes on a leadership role kind of gradually. Whereas the other ones are kind of coming in, uh, maybe at like uh, not like such so much of an arc with them. He had a little bit of a couple of moments where right before Bert went out there to like face the zombies with spider and try to get back to the warehouse, he like calls in that favor and he's like, Hey, I thought, of, I thought of my favor, like take care of yourself out there oh, or yeah. something like that. 
Right, um, right. Watch your eyes out there. So yeah. that was a little bit of a touching moment between those two. And then he had an interesting character moment where as Freddy was like bursting through the attic, he brought a gun out and was pointing it at Tina like he was going to put her out of her misery. Yeah, why was he going to do that? Presumably kill them both. Oh, okay. Interesting. That Yeah, that was really interesting. And uh, so, <laughs> did you read the theories that like he's like a Nazi? Oh, yeah, I did read a little bit about that, yeah. Because <laughs> the character is named after a real-life Nazi, right? Yeah, yeah, and he like mentions some music or he's got like some posters in the background or something. It's kind of an interesting like uh, backstory to him. Yeah, that was random. I didn't quite understand why that would have been in there. Right, right. <laughs> Which I, I feel like is it describes most of the movie for me. I don't know why a lot of this was in there. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty random to you? Yeah, yeah. I, I felt like it was really random, really, really random characters that uh, for some reason were together in, in a way that I didn't really understand. I thought a lot of the dialogue was random. It's just, it really blurs the line between like, is this supposed to be funny? Is this silly? Or is this just like bad writing? And I, I feel like I couldn't come away with like a strong consensus on, on what the answer was. But uh, what, what did you think like seeing it again after such a long time? I actually thought the writing was great. That was like the highlight of the movie to me. The dialogue was all really good. And the biggest strength to me is the pacing of the screenplay. Like, it just really keeps going and keeps moving and there's a lot going on. I didn't really find myself, like, drifting or not paying attention. Like, there's always something happening. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I, I feel like the pacing, especially for a zombie movie, is like pretty refreshing. You're not jumping immediately to like this apocalypse or like everything's burning down. And, and like so much of the movie is just two or three guys like trying to deal with one zombie after another and then explain it to someone else. So it's, it's kind of cool to like see a zombie movie that just slowly kind of progresses versus like jumps immediately into shit. We're being attacked by a jump of zombies. Right, right. Um, and I thought that cutting back and forth between the two different groups it seemed like there were always there was always some group of characters separated from the others and cutting back and forth between the two storylines i think worked well for this movie and kind of helped you keep keep moving kept the story flowing that's interesting cause i feel like i could have done without those uh teenagers or those kids like they they were such a distraction and like none of their dialogue made sense and they were so over the top like i almost would have liked to concentrate on the narrative of those three guys in this warehouse that are trying to figure out what's going on and how to deal with it. You, you don't think that would have been like a sharper film? I think that would have been an interesting film, but so very different. Like fans of this movie are probably like thinking you're crazy for wanting to cut these kids out. <laughs> yeah, all the kids brought to it was basically that like strip scene, right? Like what, what else? <laughs> what, I, I, don't I repeat what I just said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I actually thought... Um, I thought the Freddy and Frank drama and them struggling together was really interesting. I thought Miguel Nunez Jr., who played Spider, was really cool because he was in the mix trying to make decisions um, with like with Bert and kind of, you know, him and Bert were kind of button heads, but kind of working together. Um, and he had a lot of good dialogue. And... Um, yeah, I mean, some of the kids were just kind of body count, and like Casey and the guy who had a crush on her weren't really even in the movie that much. Um, but I didn't find them to be egregious or useless. Um, somebody, somebody had to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like they were there for 
body count and uh and you're right I, I do feel like they get rid of like some of the more worthless ones uh, earlier and the, and the ones you're left with a little more impactful yeah um you know what on the topic of you saying you would have liked to have seen this without the kids while i don't agree with that i could see somebody making a decent remake of this movie mm-hmm. i'm sure yeah. some would consider that blasphemy but if you could like 2013 evil dead this movie I think it could be incredible. I don't know if you'd keep the humor elements or ditch that, but I I could see this movie doing well with a remake. Yeah, I think that could be a really cool story. Just like uh, yeah, a, a body being found in like a medical supply center and uh, things going kind of crazy from there. Like that's that's a pretty strong story. And, and yeah, the way the dialogue was and the pacing was, I, I feel like this could have been a much different film. Yeah. What did you think of the acting? Uh, yeah, well, I wasn't on board. I thought most of the acting was, was terrible. I mean, uh, or I, I actually thought Ernie's acting was decent, um, but like the kids were all like over the top and not really believable in their dialogue. Um, and uh, the, the zombies like weren't necessarily scary in their acting. Uh, and I, I don't know if it's because they were fast, but um, yeah, I, I, overall, I would say the acting was kind of poor. I mean, did anything stand out to you? I thought Freddie, I thought all the older actors gave pretty good performances and i thought freddie and miguel gave really good performances yeah. some of the kids yeah not not that great yeah yeah i'll, I'll give you freddie bert uh ernie I, I think you're right it is the older characters that kind of held this movie in place yeah one thing that did not do the acting any favors in some of the conversation scenes like in the funeral home there was no editing like it was all the same static shot there's only really editing in this movie when they move from one space to another, but in the conversation scenes in the funeral home and maybe in a couple of other scenes, it's just a long shot with every character in it. And it forces the actors to act ridiculous. Like, which is like a testament that we're saying, um, the guys who played Freddie and Frank, James Karen, who played Frank and Tom Matthews, who played Freddie did a good job because a lot of the times they were just on camera for an extended amount of time having to be like sick and freaking out with like a zombie disease sure. um <laughs> no no cuts away to like kind of relax or take a break yeah yeah like it's yeah. not an easy thing for an actor to maintain that that entire time yeah, and yeah i think it's an easy way for to expose any weaknesses of the movie to just linger like that i that was one thing where i was like just confused there were parts of this movie that looked really cheap and there were parts of this movie that looked really professional. And that was a part of the movie where I just felt like I was watching a less well-made movie than other aspects. Interesting. I, I liked uh, some of those shots because I, I feel like it gave it that sense of uh, like realism. And it's just like, you're, you're in this room with these three people and like, there's no like if, quick editing to like cut away from anyone or expression. So it felt like very like real time, like things are actually happening here. And, and this is like a natural dialogue piece. It kind of gave it like a, a natural sense to me. Okay. I think it would have helped the urgency if it hadn't, because like uh, yeah. the specific scene I'm thinking about is when the two paramedics come and they're like taking vital signs Mm-hmm. there's just no energy to that scene to me. <laughs> there's like one camera angle, basically. Yeah, it really is. It's all the same yeah. static shot. It's strange. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. They, they could have uh, yeah, given more energy that way. That would have been funny. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised they didn't. Yeah, I don't know why that choice was made. If, if they deliberately did that or if they were cutting corners or who knows. Right. 
Well, this is also uh, this guy's uh, debut, right, as a director? Right, his first feature film of two feature films. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder if maybe he just didn't, like, have those skills or didn't know about, like, those techniques or something. But Yeah, I, and I could see him, like, being, not having all the knowledge, but also being super cocky based on the few things I know about him from what people who've worked with him have said. And oh, being like, sure. no, this is the way we're doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Being pretty strong-headed about it. Yeah. Um, did you think the effects were pretty good or kind of a mixed bag as well? Mixed bag. I mean, I, I think those few zombies looked pretty cool. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, like, you know, the scene like where he's cutting off the guy's head or um, all the other zombies. Um, I, you know, nothing was really impressive here, which is something like I think zombie films, if you're doing a zombie film, that's like one of the things you really need to do a good job at or, you know, be able to get detailed on or make it kind of artistic. And I, I don't feel like they put too much thought into the uh, graphics or effects. Uh, did, did you feel that way? Um, I think that it was a bit of a mixed bag, but I thought Tarman looked really good. Yeah. I thought the split dogs looked really good. <laughs> um, zombie Linnea could look better, but she could have looked worse. And I thought that torso, that disembodied torso looked really good. Yeah. There were definitely a couple times where I was like, oh, that didn't look great. But then at the same time, it was all practical. It was the eighties. It's a fairly low budget movie. Yeah. Like the yellow corpse would have looked great if it just wasn't all yellow for some weird reason. <laughs> but other than that, it looked pretty good. Yeah, yeah. The dogs are really interesting because uh, they were clearly like some kind of mechanical thing, right? Yes, yeah. And then, and then like, uh, yeah, you flip them over, you see, you see the, the insides of them. But I, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell if they were like comically, going for like a comically bad uh, effects or if those were good effects, like it was, it was, it was hard to, to say. Like, yeah, I, I just feel like the tone in this movie like had me so confused throughout. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think that was comically bad. I thought that was good. Like, I I couldn't. If you paid me a lot of money and gave me like a whole year to make a split dog that moved, it would be way worse than that. Uh, would it would it look like so robotic and like the insides look like something you would uh, see like on um like in science class like when you have uh like one of those statues or something like it was just like i, I don't know I, I wouldn't it shouldn't have like been bleeding or something <laughs> i mean it was like a cadaver in a warehouse for scientific study it wasn't like they had just split it open and thrown it yeah. on the shelf yeah yeah that's true that's true uh, okay, yeah, maybe that one looked okay. I'll have to go back and look at that again. I thought it, was, it looked kind of silly and like pretty artificial. All right, man. I'll, I'll, I'll take another look. Note to self, Ashwin has high standards for split dog replicas. <laughs> yeah, next time you bring one around here. Make sure yeah, don't bring any weak-ass split dogs <laughs> yeah. into your household. I was wondering how uh, Whitney from Lights, Camera, Now would have uh, reacted to that, because I know she's got a dog thing, right? I think that was so uh, outrageous that that wouldn't wouldn't even register on her dog radar. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Safe. So so what is the tone of this film? Is it like outrageous comedy where it's just like you're supposed to laugh like how ridiculous everything is, or is it like smart dialogue where they're like telling funny jokes and like uh, you're supposed to laugh at it, or is it like a, a satire or something? Like, what's your take on it? I think it was a mix of all those things. Okay. Satire in like the incompetence um, of the U.S. government and/or armed forces, and also potentially like their coldness and calculatedness as they just hear Bert desperate pleas on the phone and just calmly take his information and drop sure. a bomb and call it a success. 
<laughs> and and maybe like a bit of commentary on like teenagers and the punk. Uh, yeah, stage maybe yeah. a little bit of commentary on the punk scene as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it's outrageous and silly in a lot of ways, but also smart in that it's not just like a straight up dumb movie. Hmm. Interesting. It's it's uh if I can go back to like Night of the Demons, like that is a dumb, outrageous, silly movie. I don't think you could really call it well written. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> the lines are funny, but they're bad. But yeah. this I think is a well written movie with sharp dialogue and a good story that plays out well. Sure. I think I, it could have gone deeper on character arcs, like we said, but yeah, I'm struggling with the the smart part because I, I I agree with you. Like, there's some ridiculousness and like outrageousness about like what's going on here, but um, you know, like to me, like I feel like a, a the, like the plot and like the story is something like an eight year old could have written or something. So then, yeah, you're looking for like that smartness to come in and like uh, you know kind of tie it all together. Uh, which parts of this like do you feel like were really smart? I think the ability to write a screenplay that's gripping and action-packed and that doesn't lose the viewer and escalates the tension and this paced well is smart i don't Mm. think it's smart and like oh this is really saying something about society sure i just think it's smart as in that it's a competently made movie and especially a competently written screenplay like (laughs) it didn't drag or anything it was always interesting to me and there are certain elements that they even though it wasn't really deep into a character art it gave us things to discuss like the relationship between frank and freddie and stuff like that sure sure yeah i i agree the pacing was good there's a good amount of mystery on it it moves along pretty well and and that it's like dialogue driven for the most part so so that that stuff is cool but i i struggle like with calling the humor smart i guess i, th- I think that's where right uh i don't see it like like a zombie saying uh call oh send more paramedics or send more cops like uh, I, I know there's like kind of iconic lines from this but it's also like did like an eight-year-old write these lines or something <laughs> I, I can't tell eight-year-olds can be funny man i don't that's know true. if the humor needs to be smart to be funny uh yeah <laughs> that's true I, I guess maybe I, I just appreciate it. it wouldn't like you know like a Shaun of the dead kind of thing like that's a, a way different brand of humor right but, it is that's true yeah yeah uh this one like i mean because yeah you have like so much like serious parts in here that uh, it, it kind of took away from like the the comedy of it, and it made me wonder sometimes. Which not to say like as a comedy you shouldn't you should be like all one way or the other, but just sometimes like it it, it made it hard to understand like which parts are supposed to be funny versus uh, just bad writing maybe. Yeah, it's got a unique tone, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, right. Maybe, we'll maybe have that's to check the... out the movie Reanimator sometime. I wonder what you'll think of that one. Ah, okay, okay. Similar tone. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, there's something to be said about having such an original tone. Sure. Not to be discounted. All right, man. Well, uh, zero to five awkward attempts to hide Linnea Quigley's genitalia. What do you give this movie? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, uh, I think I think it was a lot of fun uh, and, and like pretty silly, but I, I didn't like understand entirely the comedy and horror parts. So, uh, I, yeah, for me, I'm only going to give this two and a half awkward attempts to hide Linnea Quigley's uh, private parts. Wow. Uh, yeah, I know. I feel like I'm getting a lot, a lot of heat on this one. <laughs> I think from people who like this movie and don't like this movie, we're going to get some heat. I think that dude who keeps adjusting and tweaking his review from three stars to two stars <laughs> is going to tweak it down to one. We just lost another star from that guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We yeah. see you, guy. We know you're still listening. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Ask uh, yourself what, why. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Some heavy questions to be asked here. <laughs> uh, what, what, uh, what, what about you? I give it a four, man. That's great. I think so, it's a really fun movie. I think the humor works. I think the effects are pretty cool for the most part. I'll agree it's a mixed bag here and there. Um, I deduct points because I thought the ending was a bit abrupt um, and a little cheap with the repeat use of some of the shots. And uh, I could have done with a little bit more on the characters, but that's kind of to be expected. I was at like 4.5 until the end of the movie. I knew oh, I knew that wow. I loved it, but I was like, oh man, I'm, I'm giving this a four and a half. And then the yeah. ending kind of sucked some of the fun out for me. That's awesome. So you feel like it held up to like the when you saw it last time? Yeah, yeah, I think it did. It's aged well for you, huh? It really did age well. That's really impressive. Yeah. Nice. All right, man. Well, anything else you want to squeeze in here before we wrap up? We got long on this one. Yeah, no, I'm good. All right. Cool. Well, that is our discussion on The Return of the Living Dead from 1985. We hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, I'm sure you will give us a review. If you did, please give us a review as well. That would be great. If you want to talk to us about it, you can find us at horrormovieclub.com. Click on the social links drop down and you'll find Facebook, Twitter, and our Discord server where we're chatting with listeners and movie fans. And there's always people to talk to on there about movies. So if you've got some free time and you want to socialize on the internet, our Discord server is a great place to do it. I would go so far as to call it a community there. Uh, if you want some swag, we have a coaster set available at etsy.com if you google amy may pop art all one word that will bring up amy's shop and she's got a ton of great horror art there she also designed our logo where you can look for that coaster set and enter the code movie club to get a 20 percent discount uh let's see what else we've got a patreon patreon.com slash horror movie club you can go there and find some bonus content Again, our apologies to our subscribers. We're slacking on the content the past couple of months, but we're going to try to get on top of that as our lives calm down. Uh, I think that's it. So until next time, if you accidentally receive something from the U.S. Army in the mail, uh, don't leave Frank in charge of it. <laughs> Frank. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> <laughs>